0: Well, our readings today have something to say about preparations. And we're thinking, of course, at the moment about preparations for Christmas. And on this second Sunday of Advent, the 5th of December, it means that we only have 20 days to go until Christmas Day. And I wonder how your Christmas preparations are going. Are you a bit more like Tony, having uh, those Christmas cards written and things a bit more sorted? Are you a bit more of a Wayne, leaving it to just the week before Christmas? Have you sent your Christmas cards? Have you bought any Christmas cards? Have you finished your Christmas shopping? Have you, in fact, started your Christmas shopping? Have you ordered the turkey and made the mince pies? Now, don't panic, there is time, although you really do need to get on with it, really. Our Gospel reading today is all about being prepared. Luke has begun with a long list of historical facts about the period when John the Baptist began his ministry. So anxious it seems is Luke to pinpoint this important moment in history that he dates it in no less than six different ways and didn't Wayne do well reading out those list of names. First of all, we're told it's the 15th year of the emperor Tiberius. Tiberius was the second emperor of the Roman Empire and at that time, the most important man in the world. Next, Luke gives us four references to the political organizations of Palestine. Herod, Philip, and Licinius each held important positions of power in different parts of the country, while Pontius Pilate, we are told, was governor of Rome in Judea. And so we learn at that time that the Romans were directly in charge of the most important part of that country. And then Luke turns to the religious situation. Luke says that all of these events took place during the high priesthood of Aeneas and Caiaphas. So in what is at first glance a rather dull list of historical names, Luke does several things. Firstly, he reminds us that the events that we're considering in our Gospel reading are real, historical events. They're not myths or legend. This story doesn't begin once upon a time. But more than just reminding us that these are real, historical events, Luke is giving us an insight into the context and the circumstances in which John began his ministry. By mentioning Emperor Tiberius, the Roman governor Pontius Pilate and the two high priests, we are being told that the Roman Empire rules the world and its influence extends right down into the local political and religious scene. For the Jewish people, these were trying and difficult times when they're living under an occupation that affected every aspect of their daily lives. And it's in these trying and difficult times that the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Luke has just mentioned the Roman emperor, apparently the most powerful man in the world, and the six seemingly most powerful political and religious leaders in that particular part of the world. But the word of God doesn't come to any of them. It comes to John. And it doesn't come to him in the temple, as it might have been expected, or even in Jerusalem, nor is the word of God heard in the capital city of the Roman Empire, Rome. Instead, it comes to John in the wilderness. Through Luke's gospel, we read this over and over. All of our presumptions about what and who is powerful, what is important, worthy, and significant are challenged again and again. It's in Luke's gospel we see Mary born into poor circumstances. Jesus rather, born into poor circumstances. We learn how Mary placed him in a manger because there was no room for them at the inn. It's in Luke's gospel that we learn that the first witnesses to these events were humble shepherds out on the hillside. Luke makes no mention of wise men, let alone kings. It's in Luke's Gospel that a teenage, unmarried mother, Mary, will celebrate that God has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Luke pulls no punches in showing how, when God is concerned, the order of the world is turned upside down, that it's the little people, the poor people, the humble people, the unexpected people, the dispossessed and the disadvantaged that turn out to have the most important roles to play. And for those of us that are living in affluence and comfort, Saul begins to make quite uncomfortable reading. Blessed are the poor, says Jesus, according to Luke. But woe to you who are rich, woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. A disturbing thought as we dash off to hoard up a few more of those three-for-two chocolate oranges and to order that larger-sized turkey, just in case. Luke places John into a long tradition of those who have heard the word of God, the prophets of old. And when the word of God came to John, there hadn't been any prophets for a long, long time. For over 400 years, the Jewish nation has been ruled by one foreign invader after another. First the Persians, then Alexander the Great and the Greeks, and eventually the Romans capture Jerusalem and the provinces of Palestine, and they have all become subject to Rome. And that's when John appears with his strange message. He went to all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance For the forgiveness of sins. Repentance, encouraging people to turn back to God, to turn around and be put on the right path again. This is a call to be prepared for the coming of the Lord. This isn't a new call, of course, and Luke compares it to words from the prophet Isaiah. Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain made low. The crooked road shall become straight and rough ways smooth. And all people will see God's salvation. What Isaiah describes is a time of preparation. If a king was making a journey, then workmen would be sent out ahead of him to ensure that the roads were as smooth as possible to fill in the potholes and to flatten the surface. And the prophet suggests that the preparations for the coming of the Lord will take such road repairs to a whole new level. It won't just be potholes that are filled in and leveled off, rather whole valleys will be filled in, whole mountains will be flattened. There must be no obstacles that will hinder the passage of the Lord." And although Luke has been so careful to fix that much anticipated moment in history, in doing so, he has made a timeless message that we can all share in. This Advent, we too can hear John's message of preparation for the coming of the Lord this Christmas. We too need to be prepared for the coming of the Lord. And we need to do more than fill in potholes. What John is calling us to here, it takes hard work. We need to be prepared to look honestly at our lives and at the world around us and see where we are not living as disciples, where we are not having love of God, of self and other as our highest priority. Where are the areas in your life that need some preparation, that need to be transformed by the love and the peace of God. What is the work that you need to do? Perhaps John's message to us is to forget getting stressed out about cards and presents and turkey and to let our Christmas preparations be different this year, to really prepare for the coming of God to look at our lives and be prepared to make change. So on this second Sunday of Advent, on the 5th of December with only 20 days to go, let us take a moment and ask ourselves, how am I preparing the way for the coming of the Lord? Amen.